welcome to Australian Women Preach, a podcast that aims to raise women's voices in preaching the gospel. Our intention is to model the church we want to be, inclusive, diverse and welcoming. Brought to you by WATAC, Women and the Australian Church and The Grail in Australia. Sue Lodge-Calvert is a semi-retired Anglican priest and faith blogger. She was a social worker for 25 years, working as clinician, teacher and consultant before being called to the ordained priesthood. Sue served in parish ministry for 15 years, both in the city and country, and still officiates when called upon within the Anglican tradition. She lives on the south coast of Western Australia, looking out over the Great Southern Ocean. Greetings. This land is part of the traditional country of the Noongar peoples. It's my honour and pleasure to reflect with you on a portion of John's Gospel, chapter 14, verses 23 to 29. Long ago, I was taught that in preaching on a text, one needed to consider three things or layers. Firstly, the text as literature. Secondly, the context in which it had been written or the audience behind the text. And thirdly, the contemporary context or the audience in front of the text. On this occasion, I want to start with us, the audience, and our context and work from there in a great spiral. Partly because we don't know each other in any conventional or social sense, And yet I suspect we have many things in common. We're all alive at this moment in history and impacted directly or less directly by the pandemic, war and the threat of war, climate change, gender inequity and violence and all those other isms of our age, including the blessings, such as social media. We who are in the traditional church are still in the season of Easter, a season given to us to reflect on what does the resurrection of Jesus mean to us and to our world. And probably each one of us will be sitting with questions and dilemmas, heartaches and hopes, thrilling realisations and fields of not knowing. I suspect that in this gathering, we've all been on the journey quite some time and yet here we are, still seeking new insights and letting go of old certainties as we grow and surrender into our true nature, our God-given nature and calling. The context in which the Gospel of John was written is not really agreed upon by all scholars, but certainly it seems that it was written later than the other Gospels, and for an audience who knew or at least appreciated Jewish religious practice, There are so many allusions to the Hebrew Bible and Jewish festivals. However, there's also a strong anti-Semitic flavour, maybe suggesting that the community had begun their life in Judaism and then grown to see themselves as a separate group. The context of the passage that we're reflecting on is a portion of what we know as the farewell discourse or last words. 
These are words that Jesus spoke to his closest followers and disciples with great urgency on that last night. Jesus seemed desperate that his most loved companions understand what would be necessary for their comfort and encouragement, for their ongoing learning and then their own teaching without his physical presence among them. And maybe Jesus also had in mind and heart us, we who come so long afterwards. It is in some ways also about the transitioning from the very physical here and now relationship between teacher and disciples to a relationship between Jesus, the cosmic Christ, and his followers, not reliant on the physical, but still needing to be lived out in the real world. And so we come to our text As is often the case in scripture, and particularly in the Gospel of John, we need to decide how to listen and what to listen for. The language is often almost confounding and comes close to being convoluted, a a circular, almost impossible to follow argument. Part of the reason being that the Gospel of John speaks often, as it does today, in mystical language and is trying to describe the invisible world of spiritual relationships, which are more about flow and interweaving and interconnection than about linear relationships and authority figures or moral teaching. This text makes virtually no sense if read as a series of dot points about how to behave properly when Jesus has died, been resurrected and ascended out of here and will not be there to correct the disciples. Rather, it's closer, I believe, to the beloved beseeching, urging his beloved disciples to get it and to know that the intimacy of Jesus' union with his Father is the relationship they, and therefore us, are being invited into and to help them get it when Jesus is no longer there in person to coach them Jesus promises the gift of the Holy Spirit to enable this connection. Indeed, it's so wonderful that if they understood, they would be rejoicing, not anxiously arguing. If the disciples who had the privilege of Jesus' human company struggled to understand what they were being invited into, then no wonder that we often struggle. How much of our life and energy Do we spend struggling to be good disciples, good girls and boys, good friends and family members and citizens? How much of our life and energy do we spend trying to get things and ideas right? How much of our life and energy do we spend trying to earn the love that we yearn for? Even when we know theologically that it's all gift and that surrender rather than achievement, is what is called for, we still tend to find ourselves struggling away, trying to be good, right, and worthy of love. Or am I just talking about myself and oversharing? One of the ways, only one, of thinking about the spiritual growth journey is to think about the process of moving from image to likeness. We are made in the image of God, we are told. 
which we might understand as a pale reflection of the divine, or a creature who has within the spark of the divine fire. This is both about our inherent nature and our potential as human beings that we're called to grow into. And the process by which this is made real might be thought of as growing in the likeness of the Christ, the universally fully human and divine one. The language of growing in likeness also is suggested to me by the promise and the instruction in our text. Those who love me will keep my word and my Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. The language of word has several layers or resonances here. The word, or logos, is the creative means by which creation took place and relates to that Hebrew understanding that words have real creative power and that this is how God created the world. Remember that John's Gospel begins by remembering that Jesus has been present since the beginning of time as the Word and that Jesus is the Word made flesh. And of course, the Word also refers to sacred scripture and the wisdom of our tradition. So keeping the Word is all of this, drawing near to the creation and seeing God the Creator in our world, participating in creative processes as spiritual practice, drawing near to our Lord Jesus, the Word made flesh, in prayer and loving communion, and of studying and submerging ourselves in the wisdom and truth of the written word. When we make room in our hearts and minds and souls for the word, then we will find ourselves being dwelt in. We will find that the Spirit has set up home in us, and we will find that God is indeed closer to us than our own breath. This journey asks of us both complete surrender to what is already, a giving over of ourselves to the truth of God's great unearnable love that pre-exists us, waits for us, envelops us. And this journey calls us into a life of dedicated seeking and intentional turning towards our beloved teacher and companion. A life that has both intentional spiritual practice and freedom to experience life as it presents itself. In this daily dance of surrender and struggle, recognition of gift and the hard work of giving away all that does not belong, we grow into the likeness of the one we follow and give expression to our truest, deepest selves. This is life-giving truth that we spiral around and come back to again and again. If and when we forget who we are and whose we are, may we be reminded. When we're lost or distracted from what is essential, may we be contained by the embrace of the divine. And if we should ever lose sight of our beloved, May we feel the touch of the hand that has our names carved deeply in it.
even so. Come, Lord Jesus the Christ, and enliven us with your Spirit. Amen. You have been listening to Australian Women Preach, brought to you by WATAC, Women and the Australian Church, and The Grail in Australia. You can find out more about WATAC at watac.net.au and The Grail at grailaustralia.org.au. The music in this podcast is from the song Truth, from the album Into Silence, by songwriter, musician, theologian and teacher Danielle Ann Lynch. You can hear the full version on Spotify. Spotify.